The virtual CISO moment is brought to you by VCISO Services, a leading provider of quality and experienced virtual chief information security officers for small and mid-sized businesses. Check them out at vcisoservices.com. All right. Well, um, I appreciate uh, having the time to talk with you all for a bit. My name is Greg Schaefer, and I'm the Information Security Officer for First Bank. Just briefly a little bit about me. Prior to the coming to First Bank, I was uh, Metro National Davidson County's first Chief Information Security Officer for a while. And then prior to that, I spent a long time at MTSU, go Blue Raiders, and I started my career in information technology at the University of Buffalo and came down to the South back in 95 over working for the University of Tennessee for a bit. So I've been in information technology for some time, uh, and that's typically where information security comes from. A lot of, the, a lot of those of us that are in information security kind of grew up in information technology. So I'm not here to scare you. Not, I'm going to tell maybe a couple of war stories and all that, but I hope that what you get out of this is a little bit more of an awareness of some of the threats that are out there, the threats that are changing, and some things that you can do about it. Now, after the meeting, there are a couple of handouts out, up here I'm not going to reference them really during the, the meeting itself. They're just things I came across that I thought you may have an interest in. They might help you with your business. So um, feel free to ask questions during or at the end. We'll have a question and answer time as well, too. So I want to start out by, if, can you see the screen okay? So what's wrong with this picture? Anybody see it off the top of their head? You, you have a gate, and you, the gate is down, but people are driving around the gate. So this is kind of like information security, the way you should not have it applied. And sometimes people think that the way to apply information security, that what we do is that we go around telling people saying, no, 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 you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. Well, that's all fine and good, but the thing is that you have a business to run. And you are going to run your business no matter what. So you might have somebody in information security say that, no, you shouldn't do that. You'll find another way around it. So really, information security is more about trying to find the right way to say yes. That's why awareness is such a, such a key thing. Um, I like to explain information security from the aspect, the perspective of an onion. An onion is uh, very much layered. So at First Bank, for example, we have a very much layered information security program. What I mean by that is it's, there's not one big black box, if you will, that can solve all the world's problems. Um, you, you have your business, you may have a firewall in place, you might have antivirus stuff, but, but you, that's great, and, and, and you, mu you should have that. But it's not going to solve all the problems. So the more layers you put in as far as information security goes, the better off the more secure your business is going to be. And that's really what you're looking for. And it's not just about technology. Now, I mentioned that I came up through IT, so obviously I have a slant towards the technology side. But it's more about people and processes. It's more about thinking things through. You'll hear me say uh, several times during this talk that it's about risk management. Um, and in fact, within First Bank, for, as, as a really good example, I'm not part of the IT structure, I'm part of the risk management team. So I don't report up to the CIO, I report up to the CRO, the Chief Risk Officer. So what we're going to briefly talk about today, we'll talk a little bit about some of the threats out there. And there are threats. You might have heard, for example, in the banking industry, we've had to deal with what they call denial of service, distributed denial of service attacks for the last year, pretty much. 
uh, hacktivists are using that as a platform for, for basically getting their word out, and banks are taking the collateral damage. We have to understand that greater access is basically meaning that now the criminals, the bad guys, have greater opportunities to get to our information. And it's not necessarily just about um, personally identifiable information. You know, we think about that like names and social security numbers or credit card information. But in particular, it's about intellectual property, for example. And as small business owners, you, uh, you might or have, have some intellectual property that you don't want anybody else to know. You might be working on a patent or something, or something along those lines. So we have to broaden our thinking as far as, as, far as the threat, uh, uh, what the threats are out there and what we need to be thinking about internal for our business. And awareness is key, and that's part of what this is hopefully going to offer you a little bit more awareness and the opportunity to ask questions. Um, and I do want to say, I'll say it at the end too, but if you think of a question afterwards, I'll have my contact information and you can feel free to call me or uh, email me because I don't think I put the phone number up or uh, Lori can provide that information for you as well. Please give them my phone number, the office number if, 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 it, if they ask. So. So, all right, here's, here's the, the sobering, I'm going to scare you statistics, okay? So in 2012, 96% of successful breaches could have been stopped with just application of just basic, basic controls. Now, what I mean by controls, I mean we all talk about passwords, using good passwords, don't use the same password on other, other systems and so on. Um, I do have a couple other statistics here that I do want to reference. Um, it, up to 90% of successful breaches use the most, most basic of techniques in order to get in. So you think about the 80-20 rule where typically when we talk about the 80-20 rule in anything, you, you, you look at 20% of the things you can do and that will solve 80% of the issues. Well, actually in information security, we've got more of like you do 5 or 7% and you'll solve 93 to 95% of the issues. So there's, there's things that we can do, but what are the things that we can do? Well, antivirus is not going to be the do all, we're going to solve everything. Because 25% of malware can't be detected by just normal, normal processes, normal software out there. And when I say malware, that's sort of like uh, geek speak for bad software, mal being bad. So when you have uh, th uh, worms or a virus or you, you get one of those emails that, hey, you've got a package at FedEx, here's the tracking number, you didn't remember ordering anything, but this is great that they're telling you that your package is coming, and you click on the tracking number and you're owned right then and there. So... And because you, your antivirus won't pick that up. Antivirus is, is reactionary. It's always, for the most part, reactionary, meaning that it looks at existing things that are out in the field, not new vulnerabilities. 71% of breaches targeted end-user devices. Now, this is one of the interesting stats here because you might think that, well, if I'm a bad guy, I want to go after where all the information is. So I'm going to go after those big servers that have the big data and all the big stuff that I can get some big money for. And that's great, and that's all good, but the thing about it is that we in IT, remember I was in IT in a previous life, but we in IT, we've already addressed that. We've put controls in place. We've got good, strong passwords. We've got database security. We've got firewalls. We've got logging. We've got, I could, I could rattle off controls and letters and numbers, and I can make up acronyms and all the things that we're doing on there. But the bad guys know that. The bad guys know that the most vulnerable point, vulnerable point is your machine, my machine. Us just doing our normal work on the network, because once they get into your machine, then 
they can hop off of that and get on to the bad to the big servers because now they're inside the kingdom, kingdom, so to speak. So your machine is hit, and suddenly now you are you are absolutely owned. Now one other sobering sobering statistic is that um, again with antivirus missed as much as ninety five percent of malware in the first few days after malware got out there. You, you might have heard you, you might have heard the expression zero day exploit. Okay, we say that a lot in the infosec world. And what that means basically is what it says. It's pretty descriptive. There is an exploit, that a, a software program that somebody has written that exploits a vulnerability in Microsoft Windows or something like that that is out in the wild and there is no fix for it because the, the way that the community found out about that vulnerability was the exploit. So the bad guys actually have better research sometimes. Remember, they're well-funded. They are very well-funded because this is all business. This is a huge, huge business, and you've got to remember that. Here's a sobering statistic directed just at you. In one year, targeting small business went up. It doubled. So 18% in 2011, 36% in 2012. Why is that? Same philosophy as to why the end-user systems are looked at, because the big boys, the big companies, have put all these controls in place, and so now they know... Well, you might have a partnership with one of the big companies, okay? We do that a lot with the bank, and we have to vet the companies that we're partners with. We have to vet their control. So, but the bad guys think that maybe the partners haven't vetted as well, and they're going to try to get into you to then get to, say, the bigger companies or something along those lines. So what does this all mean? It's, it's, it is a scary environment out there, I'll admit that, but it's not something that we can't... That we can't uh, um, um, address properly. It's, it's, not, it's not necessarily a bad thing out there in the sense that this is just an extension of risk management. We make risk decisions every single day. When you came down here to the bank, when I came here, um, I had to decide, was I going to drive on the interstate? How fast was I going to go? Is my car, my truck actually in good shape? Are the brakes going to work? Well, I, I'm taking risks all the time, and I'm managing those risks. Well, my brakes should be fine because I haven't seen any problems. I had them looked at a year ago, so everything should be good. But there's still a chance that something can happen. But if we look at the basic controls, like I said beforehand, and I'll get into specifics at the end, a couple of things you can do. And again, these sheets have some good uh, uh, advice on there. Um, we can achieve an awful lot, but we need to understand what threats that we're trying to, we're trying to mitigate. And we need to be realistic. I said it beforehand, there is no black box fix. So we are the weakest point in the chain. We always will be. Again, you, you, do you know why you keep getting so many of those emails talking about like having a FedEx package or uh, maybe uh, ADP, which is a, a, a human resources provider, uh, is sending you a query or something. It's because it works. So you have maybe one in, out of 1,000 who respond to this, who click on this. Well, because they basically, they being the bad guys, they, they spray and pray these things across the Internet when they send them, one out of 1,000 will translate, which is 0.1%, will translate into a lot of money, a lot of hits. And I... It's all about risk management. It is all about, and this is actually a paradigm shift within the industry. We used to think about information security as being very reactionary. Something happens, we put controls in. But it's only been within the last few years that we've really taken a serious look into changing our entire focus on how we look at information security. Now, I'm going to get back to the password thing. Uh, one of the most favorite things that uh, 
us information security folks like to do is say, don't put your password on a little yellow sticky and put it in, on your monitor. It's convenient. Yeah, that's great. Now, we tell you not to do that for, for the obvious reason that, well, you don't want to have your password exposed. But we also tell you from another aspect, because what we're trying to do is to get you to think, was this really the best idea to do something like that? Okay? All right, so now we're going to talk just a little bit about current threats out there. There are a lot out there. I'm not going to read through the whole list, go through the whole list, but I'll address a few of them up here. Mobile devices. Well, we all have one of those. I just heard one ding a few moments ago. Who in this room does not have a mobile device with them right now? You mean they can access the internet? Yes. Or by itself without Wi-Fi? No. No, just can it access it with Wi-Fi? So you have a so everybody has a mobile device, one way, shape, or form. So uh, a device which is not a PC necessarily, uh, it could be an Android device, it could be uh, an Apple iPad running uh, uh, iOS. Uh, there, there's an iPad in there that's uh, that's uh, providing some entertainment right now. It's a, one of the Chipmunks movies, I think. So, so but mobile, and here I have to reference the actual statistics on here because this is not just a security folks spreading what we call FUD. Does anybody know what FUD stands for? Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. We're famous for that because we're, we're, you know, somebody mentioned to me when they first came in here, uh, uh, so you're going to scare us. And I'm like, well, yeah, we used to do that. It used to be the tactic, but everybody knows that we do the fear, uncertainty, and doubt now. So, so in mobile, uh, CIO Magazine, before the year, predicted that it was going to top the list, the 2013 threat list. And actually, according to a Computer World article a couple weeks back, for Android devices mainly, mobile malware jumped 614% over last year. So these things are great. We have the ability to do things we never... It, it, for, for a productivity uh, standpoint, they're wonderful. They, they allow us to do our business, what we need to do, what we're, what, what we're trying to do. But it's also opening up all those avenues. So um, Zeus and Spy-Eye. How many have heard of Zeus and Spy-Eye? Does that ring a bell? Well, well the... Long story short, this is a combination of programs that's been around for a while, particularly in the banking industry, but it really affects all, uh, multiple verticals, uh, that is designed to steal credentials. Uh, about three years ago, I had the pleasure to participate in an exercise where I was not only the victim, but also the criminal using SpyEye. And I have to tell you, this is not me spreading FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, but it freaked me out. And it freaked me out because of how easily, first of all, I was infected. My machine was infected. I didn't even notice it. But then when I go back to the command console, if you, console, if you will, that, uh, where the bad guy is looking at, looking at that stuff and, 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 and the, the information that they have and how they can sort it, a nice GUI interface, they can attack based on what kind of browser you're using, what bank you bank with, what country you're in, what state you're in, what balance you have, what your first name is, what, what ethnic... Uh, background you have, what country you're in, and they can sort all this, and then they sell this information. They don't necessarily use it themselves. They sell this information. So now Zeus and SpyEye have been around for a while, and certainly they've been countered, but Kaspersky Labs last year verified towards the end of the year that there were out in the wild now versions of this on what? On mobile devices. So now you're doing your online banking, and it's the same thing. Remember, these things are just they're little computers, so... Um, 
Fishing we talked about. Uh, fishing, just in a nutshell, is, is more or less you get one of those emails that look like that they came from somebody that you know or some business that you trust that you do business with, and there's a link in there, and you click on it, and it either installs software or brings you to a website that will install bad software on your machine. And again, the reason why that, that is still prevalent is because it works. There's some variations of that right now. We've seen where they're, over the last couple of years, where they're targeting uh, specific individuals within companies. So um, executives, those in human resources maybe, depending upon what they're trying to get to. Uh, there was one company called RSA that, that manufactures these little tokens, if you will, for uh, what we call two-factor authentication. So basically, you put in your password, and, but there's also a number on there that you put in, and then you get into the website. Well, uh, somebody within RSA, well, probably about 10 or 15 people got an email a couple years back that had a spreadsheet attached to it that talked about a recruitment plan. And who got this email? It was mainly HR personnel. So maybe 10 or 15 people got it. One person clicked on, on it, and at that point in time, they were owned. Now, the person who went after RSA with a phishing email, they didn't really care about RSA. They cared about who was using RSA. And wouldn't you know, just a couple of days later, Lockheed Martin, which heavily used these tokens, was hit bad. So that's another example of getting in through the user something, something that's not really all that sophisticated in order to, to um, get to where the bad guys want to do. Um, Stuxnet. Anybody remember hearing about something called Stuxnet? This was in the news probably two or three years ago. Uh, apparently a couple of nation states, uh, the United States and Israel, I guess it could be said because everybody kind of knows this now, uh, developed, uh, this is actually cyber warfare, warfare, they developed a virus that was highly targeted towards the uh, control systems that run the centrifuges for the Iranian nuclear development program. Now. Those in Iran, if you're smart enough to be working with nukes, you got some pretty good networking folks over there, and all the centrifuges are hooked up to a network which is not hooked up to the Internet. So how are they going to deliver this thing to hit the centrifuges? Well, of course, there's not 100% certainty, but for the most part, the, the prevailing theory, and, and everybody subscribes to this, is they took USB drives, a handful of them, and they covertly scattered them in places where the workers who worked on these centrifuge networks would congregate. So you got one person who comes up, finds an 8 gig USB drive on the ground, and says, wow, this is pretty cool. I can use this, you know, to store my, uh, my, my, my songs on or something. I wonder what's on it. And then they take it into their computer that runs the whole, whole centrifuge thing down there in Iran land, and they plug it in, and now Iran's owned. So, so now you also have to think about as far as threat escape. It's, uh, when you talk about cyber warfare, it's real. It's out there now. China and the U.S. is ping-pong back and forth all the time now. So um, I won't go through really the rest of these threats, this whole, but except to say, and I'm happy to answer any questions about them, um, but people, people are one of the biggest threats still, and not just from the awareness perspective, but also, unfortunately, sometimes we've got rogue people out there in our own organizations that may, may do something that is contrary to the overall goal of the organization. You might have somebody who... Um, has a, a customer contact list and they've been asked to leave the organization nicely and before leaving they, they just take that entire list which belongs really to the organization and want to take it with them. So, Any question about current threats that are out there right now? Any of the ones that are up on the screen that I didn't talk about? 
Because honestly, I could talk about this stuff for four hours, and I don't think that you all want to hear that. So, is there a way to not like to not get those? Because I, I am working with Simon, the info at Simon TN and membership at Simon TN. Mm -hmm. Kind of our general emails come to my inbox and my Hotmail account, and I have had a lot of on the last several months from saying there's something for like from Wells Fargo and ADP with mm -hmm. a, an invoice and things, and I'm not clicked on because I know they're in the e-facts and have all these, but they're coming towards to my, my assignment emails, like my info assignment, membership assignment. So is there a way to, to not get as many of those, or are you just because it's out there on the website as an organizational name? Because I don't use those, and I don't log in, you know, sign up for things on websites, or coupons, or emails, or anything. I don't do that to make those email addresses out there anymore. Well, unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately, they can still harvest the email. You, you actually brought up a good point. The question was basically, is there some way that, that we can proactively reduce the number of phishing emails that we get? And, um, and one of the ways to proactively reduce it, you actually said it's a wonderful thing to do, um, and, and I preach this throughout the bank, don't use your bank email address for uh, personal items, for personal personal use, because what you're doing is basically advertising out there that you, and we see this all the time where that was the original vector in. Um, unfortunately, you can put layers in, you can't eliminate it completely, so um, uh, there are, I know in Gmail there's some, there's some spam checking that does a good job filtering it out. Uh, I have, I'm running on my machine something from a company called Norton. It actually comes free with my Comcast subscription. It's a nice package that it has a plug-in into Microsoft Outlook that checks for that sort of stuff. But ultimately, when all is said and done, bad guy's going to figure out ways to get all around those controls, and you've got to be the last line of the fence. So just look at it, and, it, you know, you know it, it doesn't hurt. If, if, like, if you get an email from someone you know, um, that, that sounds like, you know, uh, it, it, that it came from them, just give them a call. Verify. Don't ever call the number that's in the email that you get, by the way. So, so I wanted to just show this graphic briefly here, and I'm not going to go through the, through the items on here for the most part, because we've talked about most of this, but there's a gentleman by the name of Brian Krebs. I don't know, has anybody heard, about Mr., heard of Mr. Krebs? That's right. I don't think outside of the InfoSpec world most people haven't. But uh, Brian Krebs, uh, in a former life, was a, was a journalist for the Washington Post. And he wrote on a variety of topics, as most journalists do. Uh, but one of the topics was on InfoSec that he wrote a lot about. And he really, he really got into it. He liked InfoSec. He has, a, he has a real passion for it. What he ended up doing is he left the Washington Post and started his own site, Krebs on Security. And that's one of the references that that take away from here that I'll have on the last screen that you might want to look at. What, what Mr. Krebs does is he infiltrates the bad guy's uh, whole communications network, and he's very effective at this, very effective. And then he gathers intelligence, and he kind of packages it in a way that we can all understand as far as, like, what could be coming down the pipe. What, that's, that's actually, he has done such a service to the community. Well, one of the things that he, he struggled with was trying to tell people, he kept on getting questions from people like me who were saying, how can I tell my C-suite, how can I get in front of them and say, look, this is really bad if your machine gets dinged. I mean, it's really bad. Um, it's not just about your personally identifiable information on your home computer even. You know, it's not just about that. And so Krebs came up with this diagram, which in essence lists a lot of the things that can, that can go wrong if your machine gets hit. And we don't think about a lot of the things. Of course, it's the personal information, but 
You know, earlier tonight I talked about that distributed denial of service attacks. Well, the way that that works is before the attacks are, are, are done, bad guys will get into somebody's machine, plant something there, and it just kind of sits there. Okay? Until it's woken up to participate in an attack with 100,000 other machines across the world against some bank site or something like that. So you may have on your, you may right now have on your machine, your computer, um, something which has is, which is allowed you to participate unknowingly in this sort of activity. You would never know it because that's all they're after. They're after your resources. Or something that we see a lot of the times is where they're after your storage resource, particularly storing bad stuff like illegal movies or child porn. I mean, that's something you would definitely not want to get a knock from the FBI saying, you got child porn in your machine. It's like, no, I don't. Well, yeah, actually you do, and it's because your machine was owned. The FBI deals with that all the time. Um, I think, though, the one that Brian didn't put on here that I always like to emphasize is the, the real problem of using a machine, particularly in corporate networks, getting in, into one to then get to other machines or even into other networks. So, so anyway, uh, you can get this over at uh, um, KrebsOnSecurity.com. So I wanted to just talk a little bit about what we do at the bank. And if you'll excuse me for a second, I am running a little dry. I know this isn't politically correct to do, but I've never been accused of being politically correct. Um, within the bank... What we try to do is we take an overall holistic approach. And what I mean by that um, to information security is um, we, this is an outcropping of looking at information security from a risk management perspective. Most of the times we, we, in the past, it was more regulatory driven, and a lot of banks still do this too. Um, I talk with colleagues of mine in the finance industry, and uh, they're still playing what I like to call regulatory whack-a-mole. So you get a regulation that comes out from the government, and they're great at putting all that stuff out, Graham-Leach-Wiley being one of the big ones from, from the late 90s, I think it was, that tells you that you have to do certain things, A, B, C, and D. And that's all great. You do A, B, and C, you check the box, you get audited, you have examiners come in, and guess what? You're Graham-Leach compliant. Compliance doesn't equal security. And at the bank, we prefer to look at security from an overall perspective because if you are successful in implementing it from a holistic approach, then compliance with all regulations, past, present, and future, will just come into play with maybe a little minor tweaking. Um, it's, we, we go along with the standards. Uh, I won't get into details on that. We talked about layered controls like the onion, so I practice what I preach. It's definitely, uh, and it is something that's also recommended by regulators that we have to put in uh, layered security controls. Uh, we're very in tune on our incident response because we know that things are going to happen. No matter what we put in place, we have to be in a, in a mode where we don't want to have that oh crap moment happen when something happens and we don't know how to respond to it because the clock is ticking when something happens. You, if you find something early on, you can stem it real fast. So we're very, very proficient in that. Risk assessment, I'm going to give just a little uh, primer on risk assessment in just a moment with something you can take away for your business. Uh, policies and awareness we've talked about, making sure that the controls you put in place, you want to test them and you want to monitor them. Uh, third party, you want to make sure that someone that you trust, that you do business with, well, you know, ask them about their security policies. We do a very formal vendor assessment for every third party that we exchange bank da data with. We look at their, their, their regulatory exams. We look at their third party audits. And if they don't have a third party audit, if they haven't had one done, that's a big, big check mark saying that we don't know if we want to do business with you. So third party um, vendors have been 
a lot more diligent in the last uh, year and a half of, of going and doing this because you got more banks asking for it. And external relations, and what I mean here is, uh, again, particularly when you're talking about uh, uh, incident response, but also general awareness, um, one example is I'm, I'm very close with several people over in the FBI, and this is carryover from when I was at MTSU and then at the, at the government. And those sorts of relationships are really, really valuable because when you get a bad thing happening, you, want, you don't want to be going walking through the yellow pages trying to figure out who to call. You want to have somebody in that back pocket that you've established a relationship with. So just briefly, I know I'm running short on time, but I want to talk about what we do and what you can do with a general process of risk assessment. It's, it's, it's a cyclical thing. You can start pretty much anywhere, but usually we start at the top with the assessment. So all that means is that we, we identify what we think might be a particular risk. And so, okay, the risk might be that we're storing uh, customer information on this particular machine. We evaluate that risk to see, okay, is, is that really a high risk or a low risk? And we have to do that because... Uh, we will come up with dozens, hundreds of identified risks when you go through this, if you go very deep into it. And you can't address all of them. Part of being a risk manager is you have to prioritize what risks you're going to address and which ones you're going to accept. Or maybe some you can also mitigate by transferring. And what, what transferring is, is like a good example is car insurance. So you have a, a $20,000 car that you total. Well, okay, you've mitigated that economic loss because you only have a $1,000 deductible. So you, you're out $1,000 as opposed to $20,000. But, you know, of course you're paying your premiums along the way. But that's a, an example of managing the risk. You, you, you've now decided what you're going to do with regards to an economic calamity of your car getting hit. You've, you've decided that the control you're going to put in place is I'm going to get some insurance. You're managing the risk. And then you measure the effectiveness of that risk. Well, that's kind of easy with car insurance. You know the effectiveness because you know how much you're out of pocket when something bad happens. And then you go through the cycle again because perhaps now that you've mitigated that risk, there might be another risk somewhere within your organization or your life or whatever that now boils up to the top. So how do we know it boils up to the top? It's actually simple math. It's one of those things where, why did we learn how to multiply back in third grade or first grade? Or I don't remember when I learned how to multiply. Um, but if you look at two things, this is a, uh, um, the technical term would be a, 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 a qualitative risk assessment. Okay, we're not really looking at actual data values as far as like dollar loss or that sort of thing. We're trying to figure out what are the highest risks we have within the organization, and then we prioritize, we kind of marshal our resources towards the top ones. Um, so you look at two variables. You look at, okay, what is the likelihood that something bad's going to happen? And what is the impact to the organization that something bad's going to happen? So uh, you, you, you look on the screen here, and you look on the, on the, on the bottom, um, you might have a severity where it's catastrophic on a scale of 1 to 5. It's absolutely catastrophic that something bad could happen with uh, somebody, for example, getting uh, account information from our banking system. Okay, that's catastrophic. So, But now... Because of the controls that we put in place and that we monitor and that we evaluate, we, go, we do the assessment every year, we've deemed that the likelihood of that happening now is quite low. So that's not really a high risk at this point in time because we've mitigated it well. The key to this, though, too, is to come back to it on an annual basis. And you can do this. You can identify maybe 10 risks within your business and say, okay, which are the ones that I really need to look at, as opposed to doing the just... Um, uh, spray and pray, I guess, would be the way to say it. You just try to do everything against everything at once. And then when you do that, you're, you're putting too much resources in the, 
the things that really don't matter too much and not enough to the things that you need to protect for your business. So is there any questions about the risk assessment? Well, you can ask questions afterwards too. So, um, so I wanted to close by emphasizing again, it's not all about technology. We've talked it, it, so many times. The reason why I keep putting awareness up in here is because that is what's going to keep you safe. More than anything, we talked about spam not too long ago. That's the thing that's going to keep you safe. You, you need to be aware in this very confusing, very um, uh, interesting digital world where everything's at our fingertips and so are the risks. Um, you know where your information is. You know if it's confidential or not. Um, you can do a f more formal classification of information within your business, or you can go with. Generally, you you, you can you can give. Uh, you know if something is confidential or something is public. Um, but if something is confidential, handle it properly, and that and that extends to like if you gave me some information, or I gave you some information, and I expect you to know that this is confidential information, but I don't really tell you, and it's not really labeled on there in any way, shape, or form that it's confidential information. Uh, I haven't done a good job of handling that properly, and and now I've increased the risk of that getting out. Understand the threat environment and understand that information security, we preach this at the bank all the time, preached it at Metro, preached it at MTSU, it's everybody's responsibility, it's not just one person. Technology is a big part, talked about using strong passwords and updating your antivirus. So these are just basic things that you can do, they still work, they're still good as part of the layer security program. Um, social networking, I'll just touch on that briefly. Uh, I'm a big social networking user, and sometimes, a lot of times, people think that being in information security, uh, why would you want to expose yourself to that risk? Well, because I manage it. You know, I won't click on a video that somebody sends me saying, oh, Greg, you got to look at this without at least verifying that it came from the person and that there's something there uh, to, to view, because that's, how, that's one of the ways that the bad guys own us. So, like any other tool, use it responsibly. You know, certainly social networking is such a benefit. We use it at the bank a lot. We have, we have a heavy Facebook presence, for example. Um, it's, it's huge in marketing. That's how people communicate today. Um, your sensitive information encrypted. Uh, be aware of your apps that you put on your mobile devices. I kind of came out with those scary statistics in the beginning of our talk. Um, and if you download an app, please download it, if, if at all possible, from an app store like, you know, iTunes, of course. Is a, Apple is really good at controlling the apps that get out there. Um, Google, uh, Google's Play Store is good, but keep in mind that even if there's an app in there, it doesn't necessarily mean it's 100% secure because people are human, they make mistakes, they put stuff in there. And sometimes bad guys develop what look like good apps, put them out there, and it takes a year or two to realize, oh, this has really been a bad app. It's been doing some bad stuff. Um, think before click. This is one of the things that uh, the Department of uh, Homeland Security always tells us. Well, actually, they say stop, think, connect. So, um, But think before you click. And just briefly, some other things to consider. Uh, on your machine, uh, use your personal firewall. Uh, at the bank, we uh, offer to our, all of our customers for free uh, an a add-on program called WebRoot. It used to be called Previx. And what it really does is that it helps to uh, verify that websites are actually who they say they are. And it looks to see if you have malware on your machine. It looks at uh, if you have a keylogger on your machine. Um, it's, it's a good additional tool to have in place. Something else is something called Malwarebytes, which I use a lot. Uh, make sure your home network is secured. Uh, if you have wireless at your, on your home network, there's no reason to uh, uh, broadcast the name of that network to the whole neighborhood. 
Um, or uh, if, if you're going to broadcast it, sometimes uh, you know you could put something in like FBI surveillance van number seven, and nobody's going to then attack you. So yeah, I know a lot of people say that, but I like that. I like that. Well, we changed it. And and use uh, don't use something called I know I'm throwing acronyms out there, but that's that's what IT guys do. You know, IT in itself is an acronym. Um, don't use WEP, but use WPA too. Uh, public networks. Just keep in mind too that if you're on a public network, it's very easy. Um, for someone to take a computer like I have, let's just say that we had First Bank Wireless here, and that's the name of the network, and you wanted to connect to First Bank Wireless. Well, it's trivial for me to make my machine look like it's the um, transmitter, if you will, for First Bank Wireless. So you're actually connecting to my machine. I'm then proxying your connection through the wireless. You don't see anything going on, but I'm seeing everything that's going on as far as your connection goes. So if you must use wireless, make sure that all the connections that you're using, they're encrypted, they're using, if you're on the web, it's the HTTPS, you know, which means secure, or you're using a, a virtual private network, VPN stuff. Again, it's another acronym that we love in IT. Um, password management and two-factor authentication. Um, just briefly, uh, I store all my passwords out on the Internet. Mm -hmm. Do you use Robofarm? I do not. I'm not going to say what I do use because okay. uh, this may actually end up on the web. On I, I'm right. going to try to learn how to ask for it, so I don't know. Well, <laughs> the, the, the beauty of using a, 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 um, a password manager out on the Internet is that you've now mitigated one of the biggest risks to passwords, and that's using the same password over and over oh, and over that. again. Yeah. So you can make an extraordinarily complex password, 20 characters long, uh, very complex, and be totally random. And, I mean, I, passwords for, for some of the sites that I go to, I don't even remember. I mean, I don't even know. I'm just using a password manager, and I keep all the security on my, on my personal computer at home. I keep, you know, the keys, if you will, to the kingdom. And in order to get to that, I have to use something, uh, two-factor authentication. I got something called a YubiKey. It only costs like 25 bucks. And in order to access these passwords, I've got to have the right YubiKey. So, so it almost sounds like an oxymoron where it's like, well, you have your passwords out on the Internet? You have it stored up there? Yeah, and I did it because I did a risk assessment to, about it, and that's what I came up with. That's the best thing for me. Um, we talked about apps. Online banking, you know, the FBI tells you, uh, and this is difficult to do, but the FBI will tell you that the, uh, the best way to do online banking is to have a dedicated machine for it. Um, you can also do something called a live CD. I'm not, that's beyond the scope of talking here, but I'd be happy to talk about that offline. Um, I do that. And I really kind of resisted it until I did that um, Zeus spy eye exercise, which, which scared the you-know-what out of me. Again, no FUD there, but uh, yeah, no, I do that nowadays. And just be aware. Just always be aware. Stop, think, connect. That's a nice little graphic. Uh, you'll see that more and more as we... Uh, um, First Bank does a good job of publicizing uh, National uh, Cybersecurity Awareness Month in October. You'll see stuff on our website. If you go to our website, too, you'll note that there's many... Many other resources there. Things that you can do if you've been hacked. Who people that you can call. I talked about establishing relationships. Um, good practices for your machine. There, the the handouts that I have up here actually came from links that uh, started on this page here. Um, so I would encourage you to look at that. We we realize that um, we have 
uh, not only a responsibility, but also influence. We can influence the changing of everyone's security posture through this sort of awareness. Because in the end, you want to bank with someone who's secure. We want to make sure that your stuff is secure, and it's information security is everybody's responsibility when all is said and done. So we're trying to do our part there. So that's pretty much the uh, Dog and Pony Show. Uh, these are um, uh, some, some references, and I can email them uh, to you, Lori, uh, if you all are interested. Um, and my contact number is up there. Actually, the phone number is up there, so I was wrong in the beginning of the conversation. But um, do you have any questions? I know I kind of talked through that like really, really fast, and you know I come from uh, up north, so we do that very well. But uh, I do have one question. Sure. And, and I'm sure that you've covered it. I just want to make sure that I understood you correctly. When you spoke about using the onion or the layer theory, essentially, what what are the exact types of layering that you would do? Like, a, of course, I have a personal security on my computer, mm -hmm. but then, and then of course the passwords and, and whatnot, but do you need multiple levels of like the security that you would purchase or what's the best one to use? Okay, so, um, and, and the question is, looking from a layered security perspective, and, and we're talking just about the technical side of it, right? Because when I, when I talk about layered security, I'm also talking about people and processes as well, too. But from the pure technical side about what you can do on your machine, um, first of all, you really can't load two different antiviruses on the same machine because they don't play nice together. They tend to attack each other, and, mm -hmm. and then, you know, the computer has the blue scream of very violent death, and, and you know... Your life is then not happy. So, so your computer's secure because you can't get onto it, you know. Um, so I guess maybe it does work. Um, but, uh, you know, I play with that all the time. I, I, um, I try different things. For, for a while, I used Microsoft Security Essentials, which was free. I used AVG, which was free. I actually use AVG right now at this moment on one of my mobile devices, and it works very well. Um, but... As far as categories, well, first of all, from a Windows, I'm just talking Windows machine, but this would apply to Mac, I'm sure, as well, too. But make sure your Windows firewall is turned on uh, and configured properly. Make sure, and, and check it every now and then, because the bad software, that's one of the first things it'll do is turn it off. Um, make sure that your computer is up to date on all the software. So I know that this is more processes here right now, but these are very important things. Uh, make sure your antivirus is up to date. Now, as far as type of antivirus, you know, um, you could uh, look at different statistics and you, you can spin them all sorts of different ways. You're, generally speaking, um, Kaspersky Labs is real good um, because they put a lot into research and development. Again, remember I talked about earlier, they discovered the uh, Zeus Spy Eye out on the mobile device stuff last year. Uh, Norton's good. They've been around forever. Uh, you, you need to look at an antivirus vendor that's been around for a while and that um, uh, there's really not a bad one out there. I've used Trend Micro. I've used McAvee. Um, sometimes uh, some will lag in being able to identify threats. Um, but you have to go from the perspective that they are going to lag. So you need to have something else in line. And that's like what that malware bytes was, for example, that you can proactively scan your machine every now and then because it'll catch things that, mal that your, any antivirus won't catch. And then kind of in between those two is, is product like that web root that I was talking about. Now, the, 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 the version that we offer 
um, will identify threats sometimes, um, but not necessarily resolve it unless you buy the, 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 the full-blown product. But there are other aspects to it as well, too, where it's checking proactively as to whether or not the websites you're going to are, in fact, valid. Um, it, it looks at it has a, a huge database that it keeps up with all the time, and there's that constant communication going back and forth. Um, and it'll look for things like key loggers, you know, where, where you're typing things in, and basically every time you hit, you hit a key, well, the bad guy sees what you're typing, that sort of thing. Um, that's probably the, the extent. There's the layers right there. Um, one other layer that I do um, is uh, I encrypt everything. I use something, a free thing called TrueCrypt. So my laptop is completely encrypted. Um, we learned that at, at Metro uh, the hard way uh, prior to me getting there. Uh, you might have heard about a laptop that was stolen. Uh, with 330-odd thousand names, social security numbers. Well, there are a lot of controls that broke down there, a lot of controls. But, but the bottom line is that if that laptop had been encrypted, it would have been a non-issue. So, so uh, because the chance of a hacker actually, you know, it, when your laptop is lost or stolen, they're really, they're really not going to hack in and try to get there unless you're working for NSA or, you know, something like that. I, I don't know. But uh, I was going to make a Snowden comment, but I decided not to. Oops, I just did. Um, but uh, 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 it, I encrypt jump drives as well, too, using this product. So um, that's probably the gauntlet that I can think of off the top of my head. Okay, thank you. Okay. When you open those emails, if you don't, if, if you open it but you don't click on anything, can it still hurt your computer just by looking at the email? Like if you don't realize when you just click on it and it brings it in your preview window, if you don't click on any links, are you still safe? Or uh, for the most part, you're probably okay, but there have been some exploits where you just are there and something happens. It's sort of the same thing with going to a website that's been owned um, that has malware on it, where you don't do anything. You don't even click on anything on that website. You just surf to CNN.com, and now that you've landed on that website, you get something from there. So now, now the follow-up question to that, which may be on some people's minds and I don't have an answer to, is, well, then, then how am I ever going to be able to read email? Well, you've you got to hope that maybe some of those other things on your machine will be able to catch it. And, uh, but you also have to think that, depending upon what you do on the Internet, that might happen. So. I have a question to uh, I think he was next, and then I'll get back to you. Right. I just had a question with, uh, with Smart Pharmacy. Um, uh -huh. I want to have a... And this is a little bit off topic, I guess, but with my, I have a secure system, you know, it goes through our server and everything, but I'd like to have free Wi-Fi in the other part. Uh -huh. Is there a way to make that secure where that free Wi-Fi, I, I don't know, do I have to have two cable lines in? Or no, um, and, and, and you want to do, to do that as sort of like a value add for your customers without incurring the extra expense of having another line brought in, which is a smart thing to do. Um, the, uh, uh, most of the Access points that you can buy, the wireless routers, if you will. I still use the term access points from my networking days. Uh, you, can, you can purchase them. Um, the ones, I'm sorry, the ones that you can purchase, they have the ability to have different accounts, different networks. So you can have Guest, for example, that is free and open, and you can have yours that you didn't even, don't even advertise, or maybe you do, and you keep it locked down in a variety of ways. Uh, that that'd be the most cost-effective way to do it, and they're 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 it's pretty secure. I mean, I wouldn't personally. I wouldn't go through the extra expense of getting another line in there. That's that's, that's you know, you're in the business, never money. So, 
Okay, how do you get rid of advertisement virus? I cannot get rid of them at all on my computer. And I am, with me being in the travel, I get so many stuff that... So are, the, are these pop-ups? Yes, they're, they're actually pop-ups. Any I suggestion? Because actually when I go onto different websites and stuff now, they pop up if there's something, you know, like say, okay, I want to learn about Quito and Ecuador, you click on and automatically will bring the advertisement instead of the... the um, the location. So sometimes, and the question is dealing with pop-ups on machines that are kind of like advertisements, and sometimes they come up randomly after a while too, mm -hmm. and just keep popping up. Um, you know, a lot of the times when you, uh, and 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 I'm not yet addressing the the actual question, but getting back to the root cause of that, a lot of the times that happens when we're installing other software, uh, particularly stuff that we download free off the internet. And there's some good tools out there, but sometimes. They, they slide in add-ons, like toolbars, and um, sometimes those ads, they're not necessarily bad guys in your machine per se, they could be, but it's just, it's really annoying because somebody now, every time a pop-up comes up, somebody's getting a certain percentage of a cent every time because now you've viewed it. So there's that monetary incentive there. So to, to get to your question on... What would I do if I got home and I'm starting to see this stuff? Because this has happened it's before. It's going to be a regular thing, yeah. Um, no, not necessarily. I, I, I will look to see. Um, well, the first thing I do is I'd run the malware bytes there because that'll catch uh, that'll catch most I of it. Been a long time, I've done that um, but I'd look to see: is there like a toolbar on my browser? I'd um, uh, if if you just noticed it. Like, it's suddenly, like, Tuesday, it was, last Tuesday it was fine, but Wednesday it was bad. Sometimes with Windows, you can do a rollback to a system restore and, and just say, I want to go back to the way the system was on Tuesday before all the pop-ups came into play. Um, but barring all that, the end-all, do-all is sometimes you just got to punt and rebuild the machine. At that point in time, you want to make sure, prior to that happening, that you've got backups of everything there. Kim, Kim Commando, she does a, uh, a Saturday morning radio show. I think it's on uh, uh, WTN here in the Nashville area. Uh, she calls that getting backup religion. Most times people get it only after that they've lost all their stuff. So, Any other questions? All right, well, thank you. All right, thank it. you, Greg. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.